Welcome to the Faculty Podcast, brought to you by Reformed Theological Seminary in Washington, D.C., part of a 50-plus year endeavor to train pastors and other church leaders in the ministry of the gospel in the United States and around the whole wide world. My name is Scott Redd. I'm president and professor of Old Testament here at RTS Washington. I'm joined by my colleagues, our academic dean and professor of New Testament, Dr. Tommy Keene, and our professor of systematic theology, Dr. Grace Sutanto. And we are going to talk today about study habits, uh, a topic that is uh, familiar to all of us as both people who spent an inordinate amount of time as students. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the first 12 years of my marriage, I was a student. Uh, that My wife will remind me of that uh, semi-regularly, that we didn't actually know a normal, quote-unquote normal life until, <laughs> until after those 12 years. Uh, but now working a lot with students and um, helping them study and take on new information and new paradigms and new ways of thinking and hopefully along the way develop new skills as well. So what we're going to talk about today is kind of best practices that we've discovered in terms of studying and um, developing your mind, being a, a lifelong learner. Because a lot of things that I learned in seminary and in my doctoral work, I still put you know, put into practice today in different ways. So let's start it off with you, Dr. Sutanto. Uh, help me out. You, you're the closest, I think, to your PhD of, us, of all of us here. So it's a little fresher in your mind. Give us a, how, how do you approach the issue of, of studying? Yeah, this is a, a wonderful and a productive question. And I hope that, you know, everybody has their own methods, but I, I tend to think that mine is pretty pretty universally applicable in a sense that there really is no magic sauce to it. Um, It's about studying every day, making sure that you get into the habit of studying every day and doing the hardest thing first. So first thing in the morning when you're most fresh or when you have caffeine in your system, Mm. do the hardest thing. So whether it is reading Francis Turretin, which is probably the hardest thing that you would read um, in your seminary curriculum or maybe Aquinas, or maybe it's Augustine, whoever else, the older authors, read that first, spend 45 minutes to an hour. If it's maybe Greek translation that is hardest for you, then do that first. If it's Hebrew translation, then do that first. Make sure that you get the hardest thing done, right? It's kind of like going to the gym. You exercise from the bigger muscles first before you go to the smaller muscles. Mm-hmm. You work right. on your legs first rather Speaking than your arms. Language, yeah. Th- there we go. <laughs> Um, because, you know, once you have, once you spend two hours on other things, you can't really work on those harder muscles later on. Um, in the same way, you know, when you, when you work for two and three hours on other smaller matters, and then you get to Tiritan, let's say at 3.30 PM, it's just not going to happen. Um, I think we idealistically think it would happen, um, Mm -hmm. but it it just won't happen. (laughs) You'll, you'll start to sit there, at least this is my own experience, and then look at the text and then realize two pages in that, um, probably need to reread everything again so that's my advice um, do it every day don't just wait for something um, to, to feel right um, I think it's overrated to feel like you got to wait for the right time to study mm-hmm. you got to feel like you you feel like studying or you got a momentum no just start doing it every day and make it a discipline make it a habit so I think that's the first thing I'll say that's great that's good yeah, I remember when I was doing my doctoral work, at least, where there was a lot of intensive study. I would get up and I would go to class, and that's when, during the coursework time, that's when 
your yeah, your brain was freshest and you'd be there in that structured environment. It was super fruitful yep. to have those 10 o'clock, basically 10 to 2 p.m. classes where you're mm-hmm. just delving into new material. You're getting confronted with new ideas. Now, for me, it was interesting. I, I then had to take, because you're right, that afternoon hits and um, there's nothing productive happening right after 3 p.m., you know. And I found that I try to use that time to be with the family, you know, pick up kids from school, eat dinner, mm-hmm. be be present with them. The only difference is that having little kids and being married during my doctoral work, I found that then after bedtime for the kids, my wife and I would hang out for a while, and then there would be a second wave for me. And I actually found that when everyone's asleep, I could focus again on yeah. studies. You know, so there I, I had a different. I mean, this is also goes probably with temperament too. I had, I had a late night phase where mm-hmm. it would be 10 p.m. usually to like one, one or two p.m. where there'd be a lot of personal study going mm-hmm. on that wasn't in class, and then you know because there wasn't because I knew everybody was unconscious who I was responsible for, <laughs> yeah. I yep. could basically now focus in on this thing. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I gave up on and, and some people may be able to do it, but I gave up on the ability like multitask studying with like yeah. Um, I'm helping out with the kids or I'm doing something, but then I'm trying to study in the cracks and the crevices of, yep. the, of those activities. I realized that it, it just wasn't fruitful. I had to give, I had to give myself up to the other, the yeah, other things. So I was thinking about this in terms of a victim. Don't wait till you feel like it, but don't, don't force it when you can't do it. So, mm-hmm. cause there is, you know, multitasking, I think it's a myth. Yeah. I think there is a kind of cognitive limit that you reach where you could either force yourself through it and it's not going to be productive at all. Yep. Or you could just, spend time with the kids, take a nap, go for a walk, go for a workout, whatever it might be. And then maybe you get the second wave later on. So yeah. don't wait for your passion to come through. Yeah. But do think of these waves that you get to catch. That's true for writing too, right? Yes. That's Absolutely. always the thing with students is telling them, stop researching and waiting for like the spark or the muse to show up. Right. Like start writing. And actually the spark or the muse shows up as you're writing. As you're writing. Yep. Yeah. That's great. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I'm, I'm more of a, especially with writing, that that evening period has been a sweet spot, especially at night. You know, after dusk hits and that philosophical side, kind of the yeah. thoughtful side, kind of comes out. Yeah. Um, I forget who said philosophy is for 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 the evenings, but mm. um, yeah. then I can I, I get that second wave, and particularly with writing, it's been very very productive. Um, and then I also resonate with. When you hit that roadblock, finding something else to do, mm-hmm. you know, th- and there's always something else. There's you, you know that your your email inbox has filled up, and you can just grunt out some of that kind of yeah. low hanging fruit or that administrative work that needs to be done. You don't do inter- administrative work, Ray. Come on, Tommy. You know I'm in a couple of committees right now. <laughs> okay, okay. Come on. What's it like, Gray? Yeah. Uh, What's it like to just study? <laughs> you know, I'm pulling my weight here. I'm, hel- I'm helping out. All right. Doing the service. I apologize. I didn't mean to throw you under the bus. But, uh, yeah, I I found that keeps me going until I can return to that more mentally strenuous. So I think this is, this is a good point. you got to be able to tear your work from mm-hmm. hardest to yeah. lower, right? Yep. So yep. Um, whether it's podcasts that you're listening to, maybe an audio book or some interview that you want to listen to, that's a lower sort of mental stress on you. So I normally do that when I'm driving or back yeah. when I was in Edinburgh, when I was in the bus, I was going through flashcards. That's a bit lower tier than, say, writing a journal article or reading, you know, again, some Latin work or something like that. Right. Um, very, very different kinds of work. Yeah. And, and I've and on that point, 
You're absolutely right. And I think your idea of about early morning, hardest thing first is great. And um, that was a huge breakthrough for me. I remember talking to a writer who, who was relatively prolific. And he said, every morning I get up and I write about 300 words. And then I go on with the rest of the day. But I've got to write those 300 words first. You know? mm-hmm. and, he, and he said, I don't do, I'm not doing research usually on this. I'm just sitting down and writing. And now not all of that is going to be great work that he's going to publish, but out of that, a good bit of it will be, mm-hmm. you know? And so he's doing research. He's, he's prepping the rest of the day, but he's writing right away because mm-hmm. for him, writing is the hardest thing. Mm-hmm. And that kind of turned me on to that idea. And when I implement it, I don't, I'm not always disciplined enough to do it, but when I've got the free, uh, the, the, the control, it makes all the difference. But also, I mean, that kind of cliched thing that happens at like business retreats where they or some guy shows up to talk about time management. You know, he does mm-hmm. the jar and he's got rocks and then little rocks and sand and then water. Mm-hmm. And he says, can you put all of this into the jar? And everybody tries and nobody can. And of course, what's the answer? You put the big rocks in first, then the little rocks, then the sand, then right. the water, you know. And I have to admit, I mean, that, that really, when I saw that, I was like, yeah, there's a lot of things that I'm, there's a lot of things I'm leaving on the table. Mind blown. Yeah. <laughs> okay, Grant, this is in the nineties. Okay. So this wasn't a cliche back then, but it was, yeah, it was brilliant. Um, no, but I mean that, like you said, I, I've also learned there's downtime, uh, when I can do things, you know, mm-hmm. if I'm, if I'm waiting in the doctor's office, to go into a, you know, an appointment, I can outline a piece that I'm, that I'm planning Mm -hmm. to work on, or at least get started on it. And that's the beauty of technology, both voice to text and having just, you know, I use Evernote, Mm -hmm. you know, um, pretty regularly every day, just that app Evernote, just because I can enter things and I have access to wherever I am, whether it's my Mm -hmm. laptop or my phone or whatever. Mm -hmm. So filling in, learning to fill in the cracks, but none of that, the filling in the crack stuff is never profound. Mm -hmm. You know, it's never mm-hmm. deep, you know, considered work, mm-hmm. but it is actually making the most of some of that downtime that we have so much in society. You know, mm-hmm. listening to, yeah, focusing my podcast on things that I'm working on, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. and, and trying to focus in on things to help fill out areas where I'm, I'm maybe not as sharp. Yeah. We have the benefit of technology right now, and it's quite amazing how much you can fill up the quiet cracks of your day with more mm-hmm. studying and content, right? Yeah. So right now, you know, I'm teaching Christian Encounter to Islam here at RTS, and every morning when I'm washing up and brushing my teeth, I turn on some Islamic commentary mm-hmm. on the Quran, and I was thinking to myself, you know, I need to freshen up on this, So, and yeah. I've got extra time. This is 20, 30 minutes of my day. Yeah. Um, you could finish a couple of one-hour-long lectures on this by the time you're done with your week. So I think yeah. make really good use of your time, especially when you got um, family responsibilities, right? You're, you're oftentimes stressed for time. And um, again, it's just making the best use of it. Yeah. I, that'd be a good, I'd love to hear more on like what tech tools or apps you guys use. That's a, it can actually be a distracting part of the process for me because I get obsessed, a little obsessed with it. But having a, having a system that kind of works Right. And I know where all the files are and I know how to access them at the doctor's office yeah. or what, you know, whatever. Um, it, it, favorite tools for uh, that kind of thing. Um, one of mine is Zotero. Y'all yeah. played around with yeah. Zotero? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't use Zotero, but I've heard great things. software. Yeah. Yeah, it's freely, freely available. Um, I, I have it save all, all of the uh, 
PDFs and documents into um, into my OneDrive account, even though it tells me not to, and then I can access them at the you know at the gro- uh, not at the grocery store, yeah. but you know at but the, yeah the grocery store <laughs> at the grocery store while other people are doing yeah. shop, you know, or at the uh, yeah at the doctor's office or wherever wherever I happen to be, and yeah. it works really well. It's not going to be. Yeah. It's not going to produce a perfect bibliography every time, but with some mm-hmm. tweaking, it, yeah. it it does a great job and sli- uh, streamlines the process. Mm. Yeah, I used one called Nota Bene that mm-hmm. is not. Um, it was great. It was great for a lot. Of, a lot of people in my field were using it because of the the font, you know, uh, fonts that had available. Particularly if you're working in ancient languages, yeah. with a lot of different kinds of fonts and stuff. Um, it didn't unfortunately come up with a great app. I wish it did, but yeah, Zotero is a great resource on that too. Um, just having access to that work that you've done yeah, elsewhere, not just like in one little place. You know, that's right, and it makes um, it makes your the work that you do instantly reusable because yeah. now you've got you 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 know you remember. Five years later, when you're actually preaching on the Trinity, that I did a paper on the Trinity, mm-hmm. and there you've got an instant. Yeah, if, especially if you're organizing things well, you've got an instant. Just click on the folder, and you've got yeah. everything that is already sense. done there. I take notes into it. That's um, great. It's got a PDF scanner. It'll do do some op- op- optical character recognition and everything like that. And that's what I realize. This is a little different, but as as you're a student, everything you're doing is new. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And as you get older in scholarship, you realize so much of what you're doing is stuff you've already done. Mm-hmm. And that's part of the experience and that's, you know, and the wisdom I guess that comes with being an older scholar. But I realize so much of what, when someone invites me to come talk on something, they're not just getting my prep for that one lecture. They're getting my prep plus the 20 years yeah. of previous work that I've done in this area. And so being able to access that, you know, it is, I don't want to go back and read a piece that I wrote 10 years ago and be like, wait, where did this come from? I've never, <laughs> I've never even, you know, I haven't used this at all or I don't, I don't remember even writing it. And sometimes that does happen when you don't have records of it. But, you know, really, it's a, it's a way of stewarding your experience well. You know, it's stewarding your past experiences. Mm-hmm. I did, we did a lot with, um, I, I did a lot of, uh, of memorization work because the degree, my degree was in Semitic language and literature so we're learning all of these different languages and there were some apps that were, became super helpful as a matter of fact Nota Bene the one I mentioned earlier was was helpful in the sense that I took its databasing hmm. uh, you know app and I I redesigned it so I could use it to keep track of syntactic structures in Hebrew poetry. So I could search it like you would for bibliography, but now I'd search it for word order, you know, in my for my PhD of constituent yeah. post So that whole database with that was actually based off of that that application. But there were a lot of other applications coming out at the time. You know, Bible Works was still around back then, oh. which I still think was one of the better Bible apps That's in terms great. of comparing ancient versions that's mm-hmm. that's one thing that that it does really really well but now that it's gone you know logos has been a huge help in there and their phone app is very helpful and they have a I, web web service too it's all almost replicated on the the web which really saves that's on, great. on resources yeah so you don't have to yeah. just take up all that space mm. i find that i'm probably spending more time in commentaries now than i did before i had the logos app mm-hmm. because they're right there they're just Right, at, literally at your, at your fingertips. Mm-hmm. So you can you can pull them out, and um, 
that's been great. Actually, I feel like it's made my Bible study uh, much deeper in the sense that I don't now have a pile of books on my desk. And if I'm not there, I can't do all that research. But really, I can be sitting in a church service and <laughs> listening to a right. sermon. Sometimes I have to be careful about it. It can be distracting. Yeah, you, gotta, <laughs> you know, but somebody says something and you go, oh, what is the word? And I can pull up all the ancient versions and have a commentary there. And, um, you know, I did find myself, myself checking uh uh, Targum Ankalos the other day in church. In church. Yeah, just nice. to see what it said because I got curious about what the Aramaic said. Mm. So anyways, the, apps, the technology has been really incredible. Yeah. Maybe we could also say something about what not to do, right? So um, what not to don't, do Don't is, look up Targum Ankalos in church. <laughs> no, well, uh, I was going to say, Scott, do you, you know, decide when to do that depending on the preacher, you know, when, when you <laughs> do that. That's right. Nah, no, it's... Um, so what not to do, too? I mean, you're talking about all these research tools and skills right now. Um, and again, we can't emphasize enough the daily habits of doing this. And I think what not to do is to cram your research paper or to cram your study for the exam to the last week. I completely disagree. You completely, completely disagree, disagree with this? No, no, go, go this? ahead. Go ahead, Greg. Go ahead. Well, uh, I just don't think it will, it will produce the most fruitful sort of paper. I think, you know, the first thing you do when you get the syllabus is you should consider which primary source do you want to consult, which secondary sources would be most relevant, and you're already mapping it out as you're listening to lectures. Um, at least that's my opinion, but now I'm a little bit uh, suspect of my own opinion. No, I think of, you're right. I mean, Tommy Keene's <laughs> looking at me with suspicion. There's nothing like a deadline to, <laughs> to like motivate deadline. the mind, but yes, yeah, no, best practices, I think that's obviously right. And, you know, if for those who've taken my classes, they know that everything's kind of, most things are due on the same day. So you right. you obviously can't do that. Yeah. Yep. You have to spread it out and kind of manage your own time. But uh, yep. um, but I, I do find deadlines highly motivating in, in my sinfulness. Yeah, deadlines are highly motivating. Don't get me wrong. But, you know, if your deadline is, let's say, December, um, it probably is not wise to start writing it at Thanksgiving. <laughs> right. Right. When right. you're half asleep after all the turkey. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No. You're... Um, it's risky. It's a risky scheme. Yes. Because you get there and you're, you've been assuming the whole semester that you're going to be in the right mind to write this paper. And I've had that happen before where I, I plan things out so that I'm going to be writing right on the deadline and the deadline hits and um, you're just not in a headspace mm-hmm. to write it. But now mm-hmm. just, you, know, you don't have the other options. W- with that said, I, 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 and, and as anyone who knows me well will say, I am a hardcore deadline writer. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I know I know the pitfalls of writing in that way much better. Yeah. It's my dream that one day I'll mature to the level where I will plan things out and write them all ahead. And of time. sometimes it's not possible. You know, um, I used to be able to meet all my deadlines for writing, but now I realize I can't anymore. And you know, gotta give grace to yourself. Got but when you're writing opportunities, <laughs> yeah. no, it's, it's, no, it's more so like you know having yeah. Kira. And, you know, oh, man, ideas, that's a, the, the committees is. that you all put me in. Uh-huh. <laughs> all that administrative work. <laughs> committees. What other committee are you in? Uh, the Westminster QEP implementation uh-huh. program and also the IPC. Oh, the IPC. You know, yeah. which they're, they're, about, they're about to put me in something. So. That, that's light stuff. That's light that's stuff. stuff. Well, I, I, yeah. I, I also find myself like there are th- – especially if you're kind of motivated by the deadline, you have that kind of personality. There are things that just like just require time. You know, you can't short circuit true reflection and meditation Mm -hmm. on an idea. You know, just like um, a a 12 month old Parmesan cheese is always going to taste a little less good than an 18 month Mm. 
you know, you just the the t- right. you can't yeah. short circuit the time on some kinds of things. So yeah. Yeah. being able to actually reflect on the idea that you're considering, finding the resources that kind of engage the idea, you just there are f- physical temporal constraints on that. Yeah. And it will it will show up if you've crammed it into the last minutes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, w- I would also say be thinking about, for those of us who are going in to do PhDs after their master's, for instance, you, you kind of, for most of us, I think you probably had a sense of what you were going to do your PhD on mm-hmm. in some area, in some way. It's not like you were, you went into your PhD totally blind or the world was open to you kind of thing. Um, but as you're doing the work, as you're prepping for the paper, as you're studying for exams, to be thinking about how does this serve this area of interest that I'm I'm moving towards. And it's not that you become myopic. Um, you know, for me, it was going to be, at least at the time, I knew it was going to be about writing about poetry. I thought it would be wisdom literature, but I, I knew it would be poetry in the Bible. And so everything I was doing was had to do with, you know, I was interested. What does this have to do? You know, what does this say about literary criticism? What does this say about the Bible as literature? In history, was there anybody interested in this kind of thing? You know, and what it does is it kind of gets you a little bit of a motivation as opposed to how I think many students approach schooling Mm -hmm. is that, well, I guess I'm here. Give me all the stuff you want me to know, right? Have a little bit more directionality and kind of personal investment in what you're studying. In other words, how am I using this towards the thing that I feel called to? And I think that actually takes out this kind of like, the the problem with the deadline writer is that they're just writing for the assignment. Mm -hmm. It's It's like teaching for the test. You know, you're not actually thinking about what does this mean for me? Mm And I think once you it, once you kind of recognize, no, these these professors have honed these classes to serve you and the thing that you're called for, then you start having some ownership in it. And I think it's actually easier not to just write for the deadline mm-hmm. because now now you're now this is a part of who you are and it's part of the work that you're involved in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I noticed that once I had some directionality, mm-hmm. my MDiv studies. So speaking of MDiv, master's level students, my MDiv work became a lot better. Mm-hmm. And it was a lot more invigorating for me mm-hmm. because I knew that I was working toward a thing. I think one thing that we want to instill in our graduates, too, it's, it's not, I keep thinking of the word the guilty conscience, but maybe that's not the best wording for it. But I yeah. do want students to graduate feeling like it's weird if they're not studying at all that week. Yeah. If that makes sense. <laughs> like that's you, right. you got to feel a little bit In pastoral off. ministry. In pastoral yeah. ministry, yeah. especially. Yeah. Christian yeah. leadership, whatever it is you're doing. Yeah, this, is the beginning. To your, this is the beginning of your studies. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So you have to be able to come out of seminary and say, whew, I don't have to study anymore. No, that's not the kind of attitude that you want to have, but rather it's the opposite of that. Well, what's next? How am I supposed to prepare for this sermon? How am I supposed to prepare for how to guide my elders? How am I supposed to prepare for counseling? Um, Such that when you're not picking up a book, when you're not writing something after a week or two, you're going to feel weird. You're going to feel off. You're going to feel guilty. So that not, not in the sense of you're actually guilty, but you know what I mean. I think that's such an important point is to realize that this, the habits and skills that you're cultivating in seminary will con- will continue. Yeah. There's a trick in that because you you kind of project out what does pastoral ministry look like, and it looks like writing letters from the session. It looks like prepping for a sermon. It looks like teaching Sunday school. And, and you didn't do any of those things mm-hmm. in seminary. So it looks different. The, the mode of it is different, but it's the same skill sets. And your, your professors know that. They know that doing this exegetically rigorous paper, you're not going to preach a, an exegetically rig- rigorous paper. You're going to preach a sermon, but the work 
that you do for that paper is going to pay off in what yep. you do in preaching and, and in writing. So mm-hmm. I, I often get asked why so many papers, why why so much writing emphasis at the academic level, because I'm not going to be doing that in pastoral ministry. You actually are. I mean, uh, you, you it, could it, preach with notes. You, oh, sorry, that was mean. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you could, you could, you, you could use. You're going to use all those skills of having whether whether you <laughs> preach with notes or out without notes. You, you need a cohesive argument that all fits around the text yeah. and flows really nicely with good good linguistic yeah. kind of sophisticated right. literary sophistication. Yeah, you, know, you just you, those are all skills that will pay off in pastoral ministry. So these habits, study habits, don't stop. Yeah, yeah, good preaching requires clarity of mind, and clarity of mind depends on reading and writing. There's yeah. just no shortcuts to that. And I think you would all feel it after a holiday, if you're not reading or writing for a week or two, you just feel foggy. Yeah. And the brain fog isn't just because of all the food you're eating. It's also because you're literally not putting in the work. Yeah. 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 yeah there is something about inscripturating, right? Encoding in a written format thoughts mm-hmm. that... Anytime you've anyone who's listened just to kind of go down that road road a little bit further. Anybody, if you've ever listened to a recording of yourself like this podcast, actually, when we have to go through and edit this podcast, you kind of are amazed that you get. I'm amazed sometimes that I get any thoughtful idea out at all mm-hmm. because of all the stops and the stutters and the this and the that. And this is even when we're aware that we're being recorded. You listen to rec- recordings of you know spoken conversations where people don't know they're being recorded. And it's amazing that any ideas get communicated at all. And yet what does writing do? Writing creates this, this artifact of thought and it's an incredible mental exercise to do. I think that's why so many people talk about writing as painful, as bleeding, as, as hurting, you know, it it hurts your mind and stuff. It's an, it's a wonderful exercise though. Um, just, just from a neurological point Mm -hmm. of view, Mm -hmm. I think. And actually, for that matter, you know, I, my, my PhD had a lot to do with, as I said, memorization. And that was a whole other thing that uh, it, it kind of like writing, like you said about the fog that comes on when you're not writing. I noticed the fog that came on when I stopped memorizing mm-hmm. because we were learning new languages every day, every week for four or five years. You know, you're learning new things. You're walking around with flashcards or looking at paradigms and trying to remember things. And, and even, you know, there's even been studies now that, that, mm-hmm. that uh, you know, memorization and memorization exercises can even stave off the effects of dementia and Alzheimer's and all those mm-hmm. things. Like there is something about exercising your brain. And um, I remember being struck in the middle of my doctoral work by the kind of machine nature of the brain that at the end of the day, it is also just this thing. It, it's a machine that does stuff. <laughs> and it's a yeah. muscle. Well, yeah, is it? Uh, it's a, you know, it, it, it's it, it needs to be exercised, but it also you know needs it, it also works better in certain ways, you know. And I I noticed a couple of things that could all come under you know fall under what I what I would call patterning. I'm sure there's a better technical word for it now, but this idea of you know I noticed having flashcards with me at all times was helpful because mm-hmm. I could pull them out and look at them even at times that weren't set aside as like traditional study times. That was mm-hmm. one thing. Um, I noticed that I would study because of just the nature. We lived in Bethesda. My school was in Brookland, mm-hmm. um, Northeast DC. And sometimes, you know, for one reason or another, I'd be in Chevy Chase, I'd be in Silver Spring, I'd be downtown. 
and I'd study in different places. And there was something about changing location, not always studying in the same place. I, actually, for me, and I, yeah. this is for, you know, if you, for those who have ears, let them hear kind of thing. Because I think some mm-hmm. people love studying in the same carol every day, all the time. That's not how it works for me. Mm-hmm. I need to actually study in different places. It helps me remember better. I don't know what's going on there, but I associate topics now with places. It kind of fills out the internal psycholo- you know, cognitive um spatiality i guess you know of, of of my mind and there's still now places there's a you know my friend my wife and i were up in um, poolsville maryland over the weekend and i passed a parking lot and i remember sitting in that parking lot doing acadian flash word flashcards and i can remember the words that i was studying mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. um so there's something about changing space there's something about walking i think while memorizing mm-hmm. like and even reading walking and <clears throat> having your body move while Mm -hmm. you're doing cognitive work Mm -hmm. it's just i don't it's like it digs it down a little bit deeper yeah that's i i think they've done studies on this yeah on the more kind of senses that you get involved in the memorization process the better yeah um i've found walking very helpful there it doesn't even have to relate to the actual thing that you're memorizing it's not like you need to pantomime what uh Barith means or something like yeah. that. But, uh, <laughs> so that uh, might help. <laughs> that might help. Um, but the, the more you can get your body engaged in the process, the yeah. better. Yeah. I mean, it is, there is this kind of idea of walking across a field. <clears throat> and you know, think of a person walking across a field. The first time they walk through, the, the blades of grass are pressed down. And the second time they walk through, you know, some of the stalks are broken. And then the third time they walk through, you know, the grass is starting to get now. You're starting to see a path. You know, after 100, 200, 300 runs, you know, you start to have a rut in mm-hmm. the ground, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And memorization is a lot, I think, is, is the same way. It's this kind of, I think, engaging with the material in different contexts, doing different activities while you're engaging with the material. Mm-hmm. You know, walking around campus. Maybe it's just walking around the library, you know, mm-hmm. with, with the book. Um, that made a huge difference for me. And, uh, and the last one, the last of these kind of like memorization hacks for me was um, anytime I'm taking on new material, and this is again, I'm, I'm thinking in terms of that, trying to make the path in the grass, right? When I'm taking on new material, studying it during my normie, normal, normal study time, and then as I'm about to go to bed, and I, I get it, some people may not be able to do this because of sleep issues, <laughs> but as I'm about to go to bed, I give it one more run through, mm-hmm. and then I go to sleep. By the way, I do this with sermons too. I go through, I go through the sermon right before I go to sleep. It's not as stressful. I'm not trying to act it all out. I just sit there and I just run my mind, run my eyes over the words, think back through the logic of it, kind of work my mind through it, then put it down and go to bed. And there, are, there have been studies about this too, but it's, 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 it's a remarkable how you can do that and wake up the next morning and have a pretty good recollection of everything you read right before you went to sleep, Mm. you know, Mm. and that's partly because your brain just keeps going over the things your your brain. Typically anybody's read a book who reads a book before they go to bed and then have the dreams about the things that were in the book or watches a movie. You know, you know what this means. Your brain is going over the material while you're sleeping. And, um, that was a great hack for me in terms of memorizing new stuff. You know, pull it out right before I go to bed. Don't get stressed about it because, of course, then you can't fall asleep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but just pull it out and kind of casually go through it with no expectations. And you just kind of leave it sitting there and then let your brain do the work. Let your brain do the rest of the work. I'm kind of thinking through also 
stumbling blocks, especially seminary stumbling blocks that people have kind of in their studies. And one of them that comes to mind is, I, especially here, you know, at, at, at Washington, we don't have, you don't have to, uh, not, not, most of our classes don't have prerequisites. So mm-hmm. somebody can pop in, their first class could be Hebrews to Rev, yeah. or, you know, a, a, I don't know what Gray teaches, some sort of advanced theological mm-hmm. class. I just teach it's, Sunday school. <laughs> we're, we're, we're slowly realizing Gray has no administrative or pedagogical responsibilities at the school. I just come and I translate and I read and I write. That's all. That's all I do here. Uh, yeah. You know, they they end up they end up you know in a, a class on doctrine of God before they've had scripture and anthropology. You know, they mm-hmm. they, they kind right. of take things out of out of order, and I put out of order in quotation marks there. Oh. Um, and what can happen in those instances is you hit. A re- this happens generally, but it happens in those instances as well. You hit a reading or an assignment that is just kind of too hard for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Tur- Tur- you mentioned Turretin, right? You you start you you were reading Max Lucado, and suddenly you're reading Turretin, <laughs> and it's a bit different. Um, and you get a little just bit. Just a little bit. It's a little. Di- it's a little different, and you get overwhelmed, um, and you think to yourself. I, this will only be fruitful if I understand everything. Right. And that's not true. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, th- I think it's a good practice to read kind of above your head. Yeah, yeah. And not get fussed about not understanding. Your, your second pass, your third pass will really actually help. And it might not be a third pass of Turretin. It might be that you, you, you got 20% of Turretin, but the 20% you got of Turretin actually helped you understand 80% of Bob Inc. or whatever it is. Um, uh, not getting discouraged by the fact that this is a bit over over your head is, I think, a good. It's just a good academic yeah. skill to have yeah. um, because th- that that is, yeah, that is precisely what's going to train your brain your brain to handle more. Yeah, that's good. I I felt that one of the ways that. I helped myself in that way. I have to, you know, I have to figure out what, what is, what are they trying to go with this? That's the thing that always would strike me in seminary. You open up to and you open up Athanasius. You're like, where's he going with this? Mm-hmm. You know? And mm-hmm. so for me, part of it too, one of the ways to relieve that, that stress of, do I get it all on the first pass would be to read the intro, maybe skip ahead to the next section section intro and read that. If I see a sentence that kind of, or paragraph as I'm skimming through that looks like conclusory paragraphs, mm-hmm. try to get him to the place where he's telling you, this is what I just did, or this is what I'm trying to do or where right. I'm going. And it just gives you a little bit more of a sense of the, of the direction. So I don't feel so lost when yeah. I'm just getting all this information. I mean, you know? they should put that in the intro. Yeah. They should tell you where they're going yeah. from the beginning, but yes. if they don't, RTS students do. listen, <laughs> Yeah, they should, should have a thesis statement. Yeah, that I think that's a really good point. And on that note, learning how to skim. Yeah. And 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 without skipping. Yeah. Uh, so there there's always more reading. There's always too much reading yeah. required of you. Uh in, in for some reason in God's providence, there's always more to read than you can read. Yeah. And knowing okay, I, I know what he's going to, I know what he or she's going to say here. I can, I don't skip, yeah. but I can skim through this, get the gist and move on is a, is another good skill to have. Yeah. It's either. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Skim through and move on. If you need to be, um, 
hitting a lot more information or skim and then go back and read it, you know, read it all the way through. But having done the skim, you've got a little bit more of a sense of where they're going, where where this path ends. Well, I think that comes back to, you know, the sense of active learning. They're thinking purposefully about what you're reading and Mm -hmm. learning determines what you skim and what you don't skim, Right. right? What you skim and what you actually carefully read through. So, you know, it's 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 not just memorization for the sake of memorization. It's memorization for the sake of understanding, let's yep. say, Exodus chapter three and four. Yeah. It's uh, reading Tirithin for the sake of understanding how it's not completely contradictory that God is one and three. Let's say when you're first a seminary student, you're thinking about the doctrine Trinity. So you're not just reading Tirithin because you want to get Tirithin, but you're reading Tirithin so that you can help people mm. articulate the Trinity better. You can help people understand that the Bible um, teaches these things in a way that is. Uh, at once above reason and yet not contrary to reason, right? So mm-hmm. thinking purposively about that really does make a difference and, and you're actively learning therefore. So what helps me too is that when, you're, when I'm reading a book, I'm not just reading it for the sake of reading it, but I'm also thinking about where can I plug this into my paper? Where can I plug this into my lecture notes? Where can I plug this into the next sermon? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that you're, all, you're always counting the costs of what you're reading, if that makes sense. If you're reading something and you realize, well, this is not probably going to be very helpful, that's when you skim. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 And knowing when, when precision is needed, when really careful, precise work is is needed. I I start I started baking during the pandemic. Hmm. There we go. Yeah. And I, I, I used my lasagna-making skills for baking, and they don't work because, you know, lasagna— <laughs> Precision's not needed. Precision is not an issue. You, three <laughs> cups of cheese is what the recipe says. That's just a big bag of cheese, you yeah. know. So I'm just going to put a big bag That's of cheese true. on. The, That's true. Yeah, ba- yeah. Baking does not does not work like that. No, man. You have to you have to measure to the gram. Yep. So knowing when you can. Here's the task. The task the is a sermon, and the sermon does not ordinarily require me to do deep textual criticism right. yeah. of the t- of the passage just yeah. kind of t- i need to just trust my footnotes that are given to me there in the text um but that is required of an academic paper yep. and that's not lost time that is us showing you how uh you know, how your text came how your greek text how your hebrew text came to be and th- those right. those are skills that you need even though you're not going to use them very often in sermon prep. Yep. yep. So start mm-hmm. thinking teleologically about what you're studying. And I think hopefully seminary would help you to discern what could be most helpful in what particular task, right? Yeah. So you realize if you're writing on the doctrine of the Trinity that you should weigh someone like an Athanasius or the Tri- or Augustine or Tyrion much more heavily than you might, let's say, Max Lucado. Yeah. <laughs> hopefully. <laughs> I like that Max is getting so much airtime. Yes, indeed. <laughs> uh, the you know I think you're absolutely right. Seminary is, and we, we say this in our orientation, actually. We say it's the beginning of this conversation. Um, we're under no delusion that students are going to walk away with everything they need to know about theology or pastoral ministry. And I'm more interested in my classes uh, uh, in communicating the information that they need to, you know, to honestly say that they learned a topic like Isaiah to Malachi or something like yeah. that. They need to know things about like what prophets are and what they say they are and what are covenants and how they work, you know, and all of that. But more interestingly, I, I try to introduce them to the different discourse 
discourses out there yeah, about yeah. the prophets. Yeah, where to so go. that when you run into somebody who's, you know, like a Brevard Childs, we don't read Childs in the class. We talk about him a little bit, but I want you to understand, oh, this is canonical approach. This is what's happening. This is why they're doing it. If I want to know more, here's a bibliography. I can go ahead and learn more about it. You know, here's, oh, here's source criticism. This is text criticism, you know, whatever. Um, I want to introduce them to the discourse and help them so that when they run into it, I talk a lot about having a tool, you know, they got a toolbox, you know, and they run into a problem and you see a screw, like you need to know, okay, I've got a screwdriver. Mm-hmm. Let me go find the screwdriver in here. So you're not just totally thrown yeah. off by this right thing. Right tool for the right job. Right tool for the right job. And not trying to get them to just walk away as complete experts in all things related to the prophets. Because honestly, if I do that, I'm going to have to pick and choose anyways what we're going to talk about. And I may pick the right things, you know, for their context, but I may not. And it will just be a waste of time. So I'd rather give them the broad tool, tool belt, you know, and move on. And I think as a student, if you realize that, it helps you engage with this more. You're not going to walk out as the world's expert on right. hermeneutics. But you will hopefully walk out with some mus- some new muscles that you didn't have before mm-hmm. and some better awareness of how to use them. And what exercises you need to, yeah. to yep. flex those. Yeah. Is this, uh, has this conversation shaken loose any other miscellaneous study tips, study habits? Just do it. Well, actually, I think, I think that is a, there is a big part of it that's just do it. Just do it. I think that's the hardest part yep. of writing sermons writing papers, reading yep. books. Get it done. Yeah. You'll be surprised. There is, a, that for me, and maybe this is the thing that kind of connects a lot of it, and I'm realizing it just as we're having this conversation. For me, a big part of, of seminary, so this is for the person, I guess, who's thinking about seminary but maybe hasn't, is, is saying, no, this isn't the right time, or I don't think I'm smart enough, yeah. or I, I'm not going to be an academic. You know, I had a conver- this exact conversation with a dear friend, um, couple of days ago and she's been thinking about seminary for a long time and and one thing I have noticed across the board is that you get into seminary and you get around other people doing it and it starts to make a whole lot more sense things start to work and just click because now you're in a community of learning mm-hmm. it's not like it was when you were at home by yourself trying to get through Jonathan Edwards or or you know whatever Calvin or whoever you're reading right um, it's different now because you're in community doing it. And I actually, I'm more and more encouraged to just tell people, get out there and study with other people. And as you hear them doing what you're doing, you'll realize you can do, you can do a lot yep. more than you thought you could do. You learn a lot through the conversations you have as well yep. with fellow seminarians. Yep. And something about placing it in the context of other people, mm-hmm. I think is a huge help. Mm-hmm to our students. So if, if you're studying by yourself, that's the, that's the downside of like a distance ed program, which is great if it offers that opportunity yep. to you and you can't get into a learning community. But the downside is you spend most of your time by yourself or maybe on a chat board or something talking about the class. There's something about sharing space with people and our students, uh, you know, tell me that idea over and over again. There's something about being back here in the classroom now. And actually being together, it just changes the way you learn, and it drives things home. I still remember things that that fellow students said in seminary that yeah. opened up an idea to me that I, I before then had not really understood. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. it's almost as valuable as the teacher himself. Yeah, yeah. Well, thanks, brothers, for this conversation. Uh, it's great to be in this learning community with you all, and to get to learn from you and be a part of this whole process. Um, I look forward to. Uh, talking again next week. Until then, take care. 
If you've enjoyed this conversation, please inquire uh, about taking classes at RTS. You can go to our website at rts.edu forward slash Washington, or you can go on to the show notes of this episode and you can click on a, a how to learn more um, uh, link on the show notes. And you can also post a question there for our future consideration in later episodes. We look forward to hearing from you. Don't wait for That's good. That's yeah. good. That's a good word. I, yeah, need, I need well, to hear that right now. Because I feel like when I when I do emails in the morning, my whole day's gone. I was like, what happened? I don't know what to do now. You know, it's weird. But then it's only like 1130 a.m. Gosh. I learned how to factor quadratic equations by completing the square at 645 this morning with my daughter. Wow. That's good tough. I don't even know what you yeah. said, but it sounded tough. I... <laughs> Quadratic equations is like the only thing I still remember yeah. from math. <laughs> and and do you remember what they're for? Do you remember what problem that they solved? It's a mind game. Isn't it? <laughs> I still can't figure out what they're for. It's just a puzzle. Why it's just a mind puzzle. <laughs>